This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Today's video is sponsored by Balesa. Stay tuned for details about our giveaway. Hello, my dudes. Today, I want to talk about reality TV, as per usual. I'm intrigued by the shows themselves, of course, but I always catch myself wondering what really happens behind the scenes. How were these shows made and what happens to contestants after? A few years back, I made a video about the reality TV to influencer pipeline. So this is kind of a continuation of that conversation. But it's important to note, even though that video is only from 2021, that theory is basically outdated now. As Mariah Espada wrote in this article for Time, the reality TV to influencer pipeline is drying up. The infrastructure? Crumbling. In the past, getting cast on a hit show was basically a guarantee that you would walk out with half a million followers and tons of brand deals but that is not the case anymore. I can't explain exactly why, I'm sure there are many factors at play, but one obvious component is that there are just too many shows. It's too oversaturated. But anyway, my point in the Pipeline video was that the many risks of reality TV can be worth it, potentially, if you are able to launch a lucrative career out of it. So in the past, contestants have become actors, musicians, media personalities, and yes, influencers. But if that well is indeed running dry, do the risks now outweigh the rewards? Would you still be willing to sacrifice your physical and mental well-being, your anonymity, your reputation? Is going on reality TV even worth it anymore? For many, the answer is still yes, especially as economic conditions get worse. People are desperate. Millions apply for these shows every year, clinging to their chance, hoping to be that one lucky winner. And in the face of all this competition, reality TV producers are incentivized to be more and more ruthless. A major point of reality TV is to push regular people to their limit for the sake of our entertainment. Throughout 2023, and even as recent as this week, we've seen a lot of reports come out about the working conditions on shows like Love is Blind, the Squid Game reality show. I'm going to discuss these in detail, but the are basically about these shows being cruel and exploitative. They have a product they're trying to make and a product they're trying to sell and we are the raw materials that they're crafting to create that product and there are no regulations or guidelines about how they can treat the raw material to create that final product. And with each expose, I am more fascinated. What are cast members really experiencing beyond what we see in the final edit? And what does all this mean for the reality TV industry overall? My big theme for this video is control. How much and what kinds of control does each production have over its cast? When does control of a production turn into manipulation or even harm? I've imagined a spectrum on the low end, like being on a game show for five minutes, but on the high end, casts lose their autonomy and remain under control that extends far beyond taping or even airing the show. But before we continue, this portion of today's video is sponsored by Balesa. Balesa's mission is to encourage everyone to embrace, explore, and celebrate their sexuality. I'm excited to be working with them again and doing another giveaway. If you're unfamiliar, everyone who signs up with their email will win something, be it gift cards or free vibrators. So I have two of Balesa's best sellers to share today. The pebble here has suction and vibration. There are five different modes and levels of intensity, but none of those like annoying patterns 
if you know, you know. And as you can see, the shape is very ergonomic, so it's very comfortable and easy to hold. And next is the Air Vibe. This is great for dual stimulation. The shape itself is adjustable. This one has suction and vibration as well, which you can control separately. You can really just use this in so many different ways. Be creative. And I cannot forget to mention some of my favorite features. These are both waterproof, fully submersible, and rechargeable. They come in these matching charging cases. Plop them in there, plug it in. Honestly, that convenience and the ease of use is super important to me because like, I don't wanna be running around looking for batteries. So next time you're shopping for new toys, I highly recommend checking out Valesa. They have a great selection and so many wonderful things to choose from. And lastly, don't forget to enter the giveaway see what you can win. All you have to do is click the link in the description, enter your email address, and Balesa will send you an email letting you know what you've won, either a gift card or a free toy. Thanks again, Balesa. So in this video, I'm mainly gonna be focusing on the competition and social experiment formats, but obviously there are so many different types of shows that fall under the big reality TV umbrella. Survivor, Bake Off, The Real Housewives. These are all very different productions. But what they all have in common, and what I'd argue is the foundation of reality TV, is the producer's power to shape the narrative. This can be as explicit as manufacturing drama, scripting conversations, or creating Frankenbites when they like splice together a bunch of different conversations or interviews into this brand new sentence. But narrative shaping can also be more low key. Every decision makes an impact. Who is cast? Who gets airtime? What's shown? What's not? This is what makes the reality in reality TV so questionable. Sure, these are real people, but is the show real? Can any production be real? <laughs> what is reality? Are we all just living in a simulation? Anyway, that is the basis of the reality TV agreement. If you're cast, you get to be on TV. Congrats. But what exactly will happen to you and how you're going to be portrayed is completely out of your hands, which is actually a very scary deal when you think about it. Now, of course, producing a TV show requires control. I know that. Any production has a ton of moving pieces that need to be managed, scheduled, and organized well. But while writing this, I've just been questioning which controls are truly necessary and which are going too far. Artificial isolated settings. Going back to that spectrum of control that I mentioned, competition and social experiment shows typically require a high level of control. This often manifests in features like artificial isolated settings, and or extreme circumstances. For example, spending a summer in the Love Island Villa, artificial closed setting. Or Love is Blind, the show begins in the artificial closed setting of the pods. Then the cast members go back to the real world, but they still exist under the extreme circumstance of suddenly being engaged to someone who's basically a stranger. Especially in these sorts of shows, the production needs to strictly control a lot of elements. They need to ensure rules are followed, casts are monitored, no secrets or spoilers are leaked. And this can quickly escalate to complete control over the cast's daily schedule everything about their routine, where they go and when, who they can and can't interact with on or off camera. Now, this might seem obvious or par for the course, but personally, when I imagine myself in this kind of scenario, I get claustrophobic so fast. For potentially weeks or months on end, 
you cannot control when you eat, drink, take breaks, or sleep. Even the fact that we refer to these as social experiments probably lends them too much credit. It makes us subconsciously believe that, yeah, this is scientific. It's controlled for a good reason. We're just studying human nature. Nothing to worry about. When really it's more like any number of psychological studies that we have in hindsight realized were completely um, unethical. How far can we push someone until they snap? Step one isolation. For most reality shows, before they begin taping, it is common to be placed in sequestration, which is basically a kind of quarantine. You are alone in your hotel room with no phone or internet access. Your ID, wallet, and passport are taken away. You don't even have your own room key. A production assistant has that, and they probably wait outside your door to make sure you don't go anywhere. You cannot leave. You're completely disconnected from the outside world, and often PAs and crew members aren't even allowed to speak with you. Again, I'm sure there are practical reasons for this. You don't want spoilers. You can't let certain cast members see each other too early. But I definitely think this disconnection, this isolation helps to prime your cast. It makes people lonely and vulnerable. Step two, exhaustion. So after you've experienced that lonely extreme, you're thrown to the other end of the spectrum when the show begins taping. Now you're probably constantly around your castmates, you have little to no alone time, no space for yourself to decompress or process what's going on. As an introvert, again, this would be my nightmare, but that is why I simply could never be on one of these shows. For this section, I want to use Love is Blind as an example. If you're unfamiliar with the premise of the show, basically, is love blind? What if you dated people without seeing them and knowing what they look Look like? Might this enhance your emotional and mental connections? The contestants go on dates in these little pods. They're just talking to a speaker on the wall. And if you do happen to find love, sight unseen, you get engaged and then you finally get to meet each other in person. Uh, you go on a honeymoon trip and you live together for a couple weeks and then you're supposed to get married. It is a fascinating show. It was a really big hit during, you know, early 2020, COVID lockdowns. Much to be said about those parallels and how we were all feeling. But in recent months, we have seen a lot of reports that the conditions on this show are terrible. Some even call it hell on earth. In April 2023, Katie Warren published this expose for Business Insider. And I highly recommend reading the whole thing yourself, but I'm going to share some of the biggest allegations. Previous cast members claimed they worked 20-hour filming days between dates, interviews, and all the time they had to spend in the gendered lounges. The sets are inside this massive warehouse and casts had to be escorted everywhere. They had to like ask permission to go to the bathroom. And they said the only time they saw the sun was when they went to the bathrooms outside. It's this big windowless space. So because they had to be filming so much day after day, everyone was sleep deprived. In the show even, it's common to see people falling asleep in the common rooms or even during their dates. Another major allegation from this piece is the issue of alcohol on the show. Allegedly, the producers did not provide enough food and water and they weren't like easily accessible. They did, however, provide unlimited alcohol. Cast members say they weren't necessarily forced to drink, but drinks were everywhere and they were constantly offered more. So a lot of people ended up drinking much more than they normally would, again, on a pretty much empty stomach. And this is unfortunately a very classic strategy in the reality TV world. Edward Wyatt wrote this New York Times piece in 2009, and it is still totally accurate today. Interviews with two dozen former contestants suggest that the programs routinely use isolation, sleeplessness, and alcohol to encourage wild behavior. It can make for a miserable experience, but compelling entertainment, creating a sort of televised psychological experiment that keeps contestants off balance and vulnerable. So now they are 
exhausted, hungry, dehydrated, and drunk. All of that plus you're under the pressure that comes with being filmed constantly and potentially choosing to marry a near stranger. Mark Andrevich is quoted in Wyatt's article stating, This tired, stressed state is the bread and butter of reality television because it helps make them more amenable to the goals of the producers and more easily manipulated. I just think, like, if a show concept is actually good, it should be entertaining on its own merits without resorting to, like, sleep deprivation, starvation. But again, it's industry standard. So I feel like within these groups, they don't even see anything wrong with it anymore. It's just like you're doing what's expected. You're pushing the boundaries of the genre. Reality TV thrives on pushing people to their limits. As Warren wrote, reality TV has always walked a fine line when it comes to morality. Shows like Survivor and Fear Factor are rooted in the suffering of their contestants. Other programs like Love Island and The Bachelor have preyed on cast members' vulnerabilities. Step three, emotional warfare. This is the final step in the process of breaking you down. Warren wrote, during one-on-one -on -one interviews, producers preyed on contestants' anxieties, pushing them to divulge their deepest insecurities and traumas. Contestant Jeremy Hartwell told Insider, they would elicit whatever emotional response they wanted, and they were very, very good at it. As you know, if you've ever watched any reality TV, the producers are, in fact, very good at learning your life story, finding your weaknesses, and exploiting them. Again, this is why I'm so fascinated of like what happens behind the scenes because again, in the shows you see the confessionals, you see little snippets here and there, but the fact that often these casts are filming interviews for hours, they're being badgered and interrogated over and over and over, specifically over things that hurt them or cause an emotional response, make them upset. I simply would not be strong enough to deal with even like 30 minutes of this kind of questioning. And it's so easy for them to just pick one thing. You talk about your whole life story, all your dating experiences, the good and the bad, and they'll say, hmm, this girl, she's gonna be the insecure one. That guy, he's the jealous one. Their goal isn't to represent well-rounded people. <laughs> They're not trying to show any nuance. They're cherry-picking what fits their narrative, and you're gonna fit as whatever character they've decided that you'll be. So it's very common when we watch reality shows because of all that and the way things are edited. It's so easy to think, oh, that person is just dramatic or rude or overreacting, but the audience doesn't really know the extent of what they've experienced. The scene we watch can be like a complete fabrication by the time it's finished. Anyway, going back to Love is Blind, these filming conditions have been very hurtful for a lot of cast members. According to Warren's article, three cast members told Insider they had panic attacks while filming, and one said producers pressured her to stay on the show even after she confided she was having suicidal thoughts. That is just horrific and dangerous and very unethical. And meanwhile, throughout all of this, cast members often do not have access to their support systems. Because you don't have your phone or you can't really communicate with the outside world, you can't get help or advice from your loved ones when you need it the most. And this is because producers don't want you to snap out of this artificial reality. They want you fully immersed in it. Many viewers, and even maybe some of you watching this, might be wondering, if they're so miserable, why don't they just leave? Just quit the show. Warren explains, Love is Blind contracts stipulate that cast members must pay $50,000 in damages to kinetic content if they leave the show early without producer approval, and that engaged couples are obligated to show up to their wedding even if they don't want to marry their partner, leading to dramatic I don'ts. 
This whole concept of paying damages to the show was new to me. Before reading that article when it first came out, I had no idea that this was how things went. Of course, producers will argue it's necessary to protect the integrity of the show. We can't just have everybody quit when they're having a tough time. But I just think it is horrible to intentionally push and prod people, break them down to their worst, and then prevent them from leaving. Again, I think that is really dangerous and potentially traumatizing. Continuing on, for my next example, I want to discuss the recent adaptation of Squid Game into a reality competition show, which is obviously incredibly ironic, as everyone has pointed out, due to the premise of the original series, which covers the crushing desperation of debt and wealth inequality and capitalism, plus the idea that there are rich sickos out there who enjoy watching people suffer for their entertainment. And yet, there I was tuned in. As I'm sitting here critiquing reality TV, I know it is not lost on me that I am complicit because I am a frequent audience member. But anyway, I had to watch this because first of all, I wanted to see how it would compare to Mr. Beast's version. But really, like, would this official adaptation still be dark? Or maybe they would lean into like a lighter, like funnier vibe? Well, as it was still filming, months before it was released in November, the show was already making news. Cheyenne Roundtree wrote for Rolling Stone, The ambitious competition managed to find 456 contestants willing to compete for a $4.56 million prize, earning the show the bragging rights of boasting the largest cast and cash prize in TV history. But the first day of filming had barely wrapped last Monday when reports began to trickle out about how the show's production was a complete disaster. So let's walk through. The first game is Red Light, Green Light. It's a simple concept with pretty straightforward rules. There's this giant doll who is acting as the light, so to speak. When it turns away, that's green light. Go, you run as fast as you can. When the doll turns back around, red light, you freeze, do not move a muscle, or you lose. Contestants have to make it to the end before time runs out. In the fictional show, the losers are killed. It is brutal. In this version, production used exploding ink packs to show the elimination, similar to Mr. Beast. When the contestants died, they would fall to the ground dramatically. It was kind of fun, haha. As the game continued, though, people got a lot more serious. Some were shaking or crying or flying to the ground between rounds. Now, in the show, this is depicted as a a five minute game. In reality, this whole process actually took hours. Back to Roundtree's article, producers allegedly said the game was only supposed to last two hours, but the former players say they were on set for up to nine hours, unable to move for 30 minute stretches with some losing feeling in their hands and feet. By the way, all of this was filmed inside an airplane hangar and the temperatures were like actually freezing and everyone was only wearing those tracksuits and a couple of layers underneath. Roundtree wrote, the freezing conditions resulted in at least 10 people collapsing during the game with medics being screamed for as people fell and convulsed on the ground. One alleges that medics took ages to reach the players because producers were worried about the camera shots being ruined. I was so shocked to read this. I hadn't heard about it when this article first came out, but when I watched the show, as I always do, I, I wanna Google everything immediately. Any thought pops into my head, Googling it. So I found this article and I was so surprised because first of all, obviously that sounds agonizing. Now I totally understand why people were diving and laying on the ground. But I was also surprised because again, these accounts are so different from how the game was portrayed in the show. Why would producers pretend the game was only five minutes if it was so long? I think the real challenge experience suffering through this for hours and hours is vastly more interesting. Not that I think that's right, but it definitely makes finishing, like surviving this game a lot more satisfying because you know that 
the stakes were so much higher. But perhaps because of reports like Roundtree's, when it came time to edit the show, maybe production wanted to make it at least look like it wasn't a torturous freezing experience. Anyway, this is why I think the Squid Game reality show is not just a competition, but also a social experiment. Because much of this show is about people being pushed to their moral limits. What would you do? How far would you go? Even in that first challenge, many contestants faced a moral obstacle. As they watched fellow players have medical emergencies right next to them, they couldn't help or risk being eliminated. Roundtree quoted a contestant saying, people were beating themselves up around the fact that you've got a girl convulsing and we're all stood there like statues. On what planet is that even humane? Obviously you would jump and help. That's what our human nature is for most of us. But absolutely, it's a social experiment. It played on our morals and it's sick. So after that first game, a lot of players were eliminated and everybody else got to come to the the big hangout room. (laughs) Wouldn't call it that. As usual, producers created conditions to wear the contestants down. They lived in this massive open warehouse with these huge stacks of bunk beds, just like the show. Food was limited. Portions were small and unsatisfying. And I don't know why this got me so much, but contestants had to wear the same dirty, sweaty tracksuit the entire game. They could shower and change undergarments, but the tracksuit remained day and night. You're sleeping in the thing and then you're waking up. Everyone's constantly uncomfortable and on edge. They had no sense of time. They're just waiting in this big liminal space. And sure, there are plenty of other players to chat with, but this is where the paranoia creeps in. This is a very social game, but you have to play carefully. Will you join an alliance? Would you be loyal or betray them when you get the chance? Can you trust anyone? Ruthlessness is built into the DNA of this competition and it's exacerbated by this hostile environment. You must do whatever it takes. There will only be one winner. Allison Herman writes, given the money involved, the stakes are still quite high, if not life or death, and the environment ruthlessly intense. As the game design forces contestants to throw each other under the bus or submit themselves to blind, cruel luck, we watch them crack, sobbing, hyperventilating, even threatening to vomit. And if all those factors weren't enough, there have been allegations that the game was rigged. In her reporting, Roundtree wrote that it seemed producers had cast favorites, giving certain people real mics while others had dummy mics. Some contestants claimed they were wrongfully eliminated and favorites had rules bent for them or were even put back in the game after losing. If it is true that the game was rigged one way or another, that is brutal. Many contestants left their jobs and risked a lot to be there. The whole point of the show is everyone's shared desperation. There are certainly varying levels of financial struggle, but everyone has bills to pay, loved ones to support, and four and a half million dollars is a huge prize for anyone. Overall, I actually found it kind of hard to watch the show, especially as more interviews and confessionals went on. We would hear somebody's backstory, they're pleading for this opportunity, and then they'd be eliminated in some brutal game of chance. That background was really where I felt it was most similar to the actual show for me. I always feel conflicted about asking people to divulge their their traumas and their financial problems in order to like be a deserving contestant on reality TV. But really, especially because there were so many contestants, many people didn't even make the final cut in the show. They might see like the back of their head for two seconds and that's it. Others got maybe a few minutes of airtime. And for those lucky enough to be featured prominently, that exposure can be a double-edged sword. Contestants were forced to make a lot of tough decisions throughout the show. And a lot of people have faced huge backlash for their choices. I have seen ridiculous examples of hate and even death threats 
toward contestants on Reddit and other social media, which is just so absurd. Not to mention how much of this hate is rooted in racism, misogyny, homophobia. Even though I have my opinions about certain players' choices or their attitudes, I might disagree. I might have maybe done something different. Who knows? It's important to remind ourselves we still don't know how accurate or true these narratives are to begin with. And also calm down and never send hate or death threats to people online. What is wrong with you? But again, even if you were a contestant and you wanted to be on your best behavior, making all the most moral decisions, which is questionable because everyone has different standards, you can never control how the production will edit you, if they'll choose that you're a hero or a villain, and nobody can stop the tsunami of public attention once it's unleashed. There was only one winner. For all those other 455 contestants, there was a lot of risk and no reward. Now, maybe you'll say some of these people have gained a social media following from this, sure, but in the grand scheme of the show, a very, very small percentage of people have really materially benefited from this, I would say. Well, they signed up for this. That is a common response to any critiques of reality TV. No one forced you to join. You signed the contract. For example, the Love is Blind contract warrants, as Warren writes, once contestants are cast, they must sign a contract agreeing to be recorded 24-7 for up to eight weeks. Contestants must also acknowledge that being on Love is Blind might destroy their reputations. Appearing on the show may expose information that is personal, private, surprising, defamatory, disparaging, embarrassing, or unfavorable, and open them up to to public ridicule, humiliation, or condemnation. See, there, you read that contract and signed it? It's your fault. First of all, contracts are long and notoriously hard to understand, and we're all used to signing terms and conditions or whatever waivers that warn we might die while roller skating. But we expect that those are worst case scenarios. We're hopeful that those horrible outcomes are unlikely. Plus, as Andrevich pointed out in Wyatt's article, reality TV cast members are subject to totally unequal terms of negotiations. They are essentially a disposable commodity, and if they don't sign the contract, there are hundreds of other people lining up for their spot. We tell people that being cast on a show is a rare opportunity. If you're lucky enough to get the chance, take it. Don't get scared away by that dense contract. Just keep your eyes on the prize. And also a huge point that I would argue to this while they signed up for it idea is yes, people signed up for a challenge. Maybe they expect some discomfort or struggle, but they do not sign up for being harmed, abused, or tortured. As many contestants often say after the fact, you never know what it'll be like until you experience it. Plus, you're told that production and a whole team of professionals are there to support you. It's easy to have a false sense of security. And as viewers, we buy into this social contract too. We believe this is TV, so everything's going to be okay. They wouldn't let anything bad happen. This is all controlled. It's not real. But things do, in fact, get too real. I think this is a huge part of why contestants feel so betrayed when they get screwed over or those promises are broken. Now, going back to that original spectrum of control, reality TV should be highly controlled. I agree. Control is necessary to a safe working environment, but producers tend to be controlling in all of the wrong areas, and then they're totally hands-off or even negligent in the really crucial aspects. Regardless of what these contracts may say, 
Productions absolutely do have the responsibility to keep their cast and crew safe and healthy. They should be preventing and mitigating harm rather than facilitating it. Okay, well, if things are so bad, why don't more people speak out? Many reality TV cast members end up with lasting harm, injuries, PTSD. So what if they want to open up and share their experiences, be honest about the reality that they went through? They often don't speak out in fear of retaliation. Within these contracts that they sign, they're typically under very strict non-disclosure agreements. And if they break their NDA, they will be threatened with legal action. Edward Wyatt wrote about the biggest losers NDAs in 2009. A producer reminded former contestants that serious consequences could ensue if they ever talk to a reporter without the show's permission. To do so could subject them to a fine of $100,000 or a million dollars, depending on the timing of the interview. Because of all of these media limitations and threats of legal action, I'm sure that we have barely even scratched the surface of reality TV exploitation. So now, as we reach the end of the video, I wanna talk about what is going on now and what's coming in the future in the world of reality TV. A lot of cast members are pushing back against these restrictive NDAs, calling out bad working conditions, and even considering unionizing. Let's start with working conditions because we've covered a fair bit of this already. First of all, we have to acknowledge that being on reality TV is work. Many viewers don't see it as such and producers benefit from that disconnect. Oh, these vain, fame-hungry people are just messing around on camera. That's not hard. But there is serious money being made in reality reality TV, and the castmates are usually not the ones getting rich off their shows. But even aside from the money, work is work, and everyone deserves fair and safe working conditions. There are labor laws for a reason. I filed a lawsuit against Kinetic and Netflix on behalf of Love is Blind cast members and Ultimatum cast members in the summer of 2022, alleging that they violated California labor law. Warren's article states, Love is Blind contestants were paid a weekly stipend of $1,000 that has a cap of $8,000, which if you break it down to hourly is about $7.14 an hour. And that is half of California's minimum wage of $15 an hour. The way that these production companies have been getting around labor laws is they have been classifying cast members as contract employees. And if it's true that we should have been full-time employees, all of a sudden, all of these protections come into play, right? Meal breaks, rest breaks, overtime pay, all of these things come into play, all of which were violated. And to be clear, the crews need improved conditions too. Too often, working in film or TV means extra long days, 16 to 20 hours, always working through meal breaks because the production companies don't mind paying the penalties. It's exhausting and it's not okay. Another major player in the reality TV reckoning is Bethany Frankel. I know she's a complicated figure. I haven't seen her shows and I'm not up to date on all the lore, but Frankel has played a big role in the last seven or eight months in this conversation. She's been vocally in favor of reality cast striking and unionizing. As of October, according to her Instagram, and despite media reports, Frankel says she has not hired lawyers and does not intend to sue Bravo. But she is, quote, directing wronged talent and production members to legal representation and is fighting for systemic change in a damaged institution. And most recently, just as I was finishing this script, there was news of more lawsuits from Love is Blind cast members. Tatiana Siegel had this exclusive. This article highlights two Love is Blind contestants from season five. 
Tran Dang and Renee Pochet, who alleged that their partners on the show were abusive, that they told the producers about this and that the producers did not offer any help or support. So there are multiple different lawsuits happening and they have different goals and different targets. To summarize, basically there's this pair of lawyers, Brian Friedman and Mark Garagos, hoping to bring a day of reckoning to the reality TV industry. And quote, are now representing several hundred reality stars and crew members who have been subjected to everything from false imprisonment to sexual violence. This is a huge moment in the reality TV industry. It is horrifying that so many cast members have experienced these abuses and hardships, but I am glad an increasing number of people feel empowered to speak out. I really hope that these lawsuits are successful. The production companies should be held accountable for any harm they've caused. Also, these lawsuits could serve as precedents in order to change the industry for the better, to prevent this from happening to more people. So that is today's video. I know it ended up being a lot heavier than I thought. It always does. Every time I think I can just make a light little video about reality TV, it gets heavy. But again, I, I do feel optimistic. I think reality TV can be better. You could argue about whether reality TV is just unethical, period. Is it inherently exploitative? <laughs> Probably. And then I spiral. Anyway, that is all. As you can hear, I'm kind of like losing my voice as I'm reading this script. So thank you for watching today's video. I hope you enjoyed it. And sorry, I've been gone for a while. Honestly, I've been struggling with PMDD. If you're familiar with that, it's a beast. Just been trying to push through those issues. And then I wanted to take off some time for the holidays and I did have a good time with my loved ones. So cheers to that. We're back in the new year. I love a new year, new vibe. And speaking of vibes, you know, thanks again to Belessa for sponsoring today's video. Make sure you enter that giveaway with the link in the description. Sign up with your email. That is that. The sun's going down and I'll see you next time for another episode of Internet Analysis. Okay, thanks. Bye.